Hello and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals, although we're going to have to change that name soon because I think I make the joke every time that we're becoming more and more real professionals as this goes on, but hey, uh, we didn't we didn't expect to be real professionals when we started this. Things just happen. Um, welcome to the first part of the Dread X Collection Collection Volume 3. Uh, the collection of episodes where we interview the developers of the DreadX collection. We like to collect them all in one place for your uh, listening pleasure. Uh, as you know, we've recently released the DreadX collection too, but that hasn't stopped us. We're not going to slow down. We will never slow down. We will never stop releasing games ever, uh, except after this one. We're going to take a little bit of a break. So uh, that was that was a lie. But anyways, uh, we got a series of uh, interviews coming up with the developers of the DreadX Collection Volume 3. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the DreadX Collection 3 is coming out in October. Uh, the theme of it is going to be Spooky Cute, a.k.a. Spoopy. I always say Spoopy. The collection's going to be Spoopy. And half the times I say, does that mean, like, poopy spooky? And I'm like, hopefully not. But hey, you know, games are still being made. Maybe uh, maybe they're all poopy. But I don't think they are because uh, we've got an excellent collection of devs, as you will see from these interviews. Uh, and yeah, so if you're interested in learning more about the DreadX Collection Volume 3, you can always follow us on Twitter at Dread xp underscore we uh changed it so it's no longer the underscore in the middle so uh better for everyone that way and uh yeah so uh without further ado we got a uh, brogon hackett today uh talking about uh her game for the uh, dread x collection so uh without further ado dj drop that sick beat Start, you start the, the rebel uh, tell us how you are hello i'm um pretty good pretty uh it's late here but i'm good yeah what where are you what time is it so i'm in arland and it is uh 30 minutes past midnight oh god yeah but you said you were gonna stay up late anyways because you're uh you're gonna be playing that new update yeah new no man's sky update exciting times that is exciting. I was thinking about actually getting it. We were having a little pre-show uh, chat, and you were telling me all about the stuff that they've added to No Man's Sky. It, it's gone from being the most reviled game to one of the most beloved games, which is really awesome. It's really cool to see, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, Hello Games doing that. Uh, and uh, you know, it's but I can't imagine trying to keep updating that game, you know, four years later. You know. Yeah, I can imagine, like, as a studio, they're starting to get tired. But they did release, a like, a new game last month or something, so clearly they're doing stuff in the background, but they've kept a pretty steady stream of updates, especially this year. I, I always wonder what that's like to be working on a game. So, like, you know, they they uh, they release the game, and then they're still updating it four years later. There must be a significant number of people working on that game now that weren't there for the initial launch, you know? Absolutely. Like it must, yeah. yeah, it's probably like an entire, almost an entirely new creative team working on the updates. I mean, we can't like guess exactly what, because every single studio and every single company, how they run things uh, is all completely different. Like I've had people say, 
how do I get into the industry? And I'm like, what a hundred ways do you want me to tell you? (laughs) And studio structure and because like everyone is different, but like, absolutely. That's the kind of studio that, you know, needs to get stuff done and probably are very, uh, you know, I'm just amazed how I'm glad that what happened to them happened because it's such a good example for the rest of the industry of what not to do and what to do at the same time. And it's just such an interesting case study for um, companies, even like ours, even though we don't exactly do what they do, uh, but just to to see that you can turn it around and, and people are willing to forgive you. And it's not as, you know, as much animosity as people think if yeah. you do the right thing eventually. <laughs> well, and I think that when we're talking about animosity, like fan animosity, we always have to remember that the actual people with animus are like a very, very, very small percentage of the overall gaming market. Absolutely. Usually they're the people, uh, sorry. Uh, usually they're the people who will never be happy with the game. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Or people that just have issues within like their own, like, you know, with just everything like, oh, I don't like the industry in general because of this or that. And so then I'm going to take out that anger on the whole industry, <laughs> you know? Mm. Like I, well, I, no, man, no Man's Sky is doing a really good job of giving people like nothing to be mad at about. Well, here's the thing: is like I'm in a number of horror Discord channels and forums and stuff like that, talking about you know new Resident Evil, new Silent Hills, or whatever, all those rumors and stuff that are always bullshit. But um, <laughs> there's a significant like the most active members of those communities are usually people just whining about. The games, they're usually like people like, especially for the Resident Evil community, there's so many people talking about like, new Resident Evil's gonna suck, hasn't been good since Resident Evil 3. I'm like, have you just been mad about Resident Evil for 20 years and that's the only thing keeping you alive? Like, I just imagine there's some kind of hate revenant. Like, you know those ghosts in Lord of the Rings that are kept alive by their failed oaths? Like, (laughs) that's what I imagine people that are mad about Resident Evil are. They're like, please re-release Resident Evil 3 in its original form. The only good remake was the GameCube one. And like, they're just like, I, I went a little bit Palpatine there, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> but like, what's um, that? Sorry. Just go make a game. Do something productive. Yes, that. Yeah, that. But also like, but once a popular streamer or somebody that like, uh, or influencer or whatever, uh, say like, oh, I, I like this new game. Like everyone's like, okay, now I like it. You know, like people's minds can mm. be changed uh, depending on the context. Well, yeah, like I, I think your point about like, just make something. Like I think that a lot of people that have a lot of hate are or like are very very upset about the way things are going in the industry are generally people that like either aren't fulfilling their own dreams or just aren't working on it like um i actually you know this is something that um you know david was talking about when we when we've interviewed him uh david chmansky is like he's like you know i back before i started making games i would be very opinionated online about you know the proper way to do things but once he started making them he's like yeah i I was like this completely changed his perspective (laughs) yeah there's definitely like once you start to see how how it's all done, then you don't care about how, how it's done anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's fun because I've been doing that for a long time uh, with, with film is like, you know, I was, uh, I, 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 I like to find out like where they hide the cuts, you know, in, in, um, so I was watching Saving Private Ryan the other night uh, because I'm an American and it's like, if you don't watch Saving Private Ryan once every two years, they cut up your passport. <laughs> it's actually part of the passport quiz is like, you know, various scenes from Saving Private Ryan while a patriotic flag waves in the background. Uh, and, and I was like, oh, these are like cool cuts. But like, that's the thing is like, you can either be cynical about 
the structure of games or you can like be like oh this is how they do it and that's cool like there's two different way mindsets to go about it and like a lot of people just choose to become you know blackpilled as fuck about it <laughs> and I, I don't really want to be too negative because i what i meant to say with all of this is that uh it's 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 interesting because you know it's never been easier to kind of get into uh game design because you know you can kind of just there's itch.io there's a number of uh communities that you can join to be an indie creator and kind of like at least get some people to play your game get some feedback on it uh i mean one such example of such a community is the haunted ps1 community you know haunted ps1 represent although it is a bit odd that you make people pay ten thousand dollars to join the community and uh that you use that <laughs> just to buy drugs and alcohol i think that's that's pretty rough bro. why do hey, you do i don't that? make rules <laughs> but uh but no no actually that's that's actually something i did want to get into a little bit um i do want to talk about the game that you made for us at some point we've been forgetting <laughs> to do that on these pods uh which i believe is something we should probably do but uh i also do want I mean, to talk do you want me to poke you because i i just assume you're just having fun <laughs> so i don't bother you. i'm like <laughs> yeah i mean we are, we are we are having fun here but uh no, I mean, I, I actually really did want to talk a little bit about that because I think that um, yeah. a lot of times in uh, uh, these these pods that we do here and in the video game discourse in general, uh, you know, we talk about our projects and also the way that we want things things to be. But, you know, um, you, you have a pretty interesting project in the Haunted PS1 community because you are the, the, the founder, the runner of it. What, what is your relationship with uh, uh, the haunted PS One thing for our fans out there that do not know, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm Brogan Hackett and I founded the Haunted PS One Discord a few years ago after I'd made my first pixelated horror game because I was like I know like two other people who make these games and I never talk to people about making games and I want a space to do that in, and uh, now we have like I don't know like well over a thousand Discord members. And uh, like four thousand or more Twitter followers, um, and so what? What I do for it is basically I just started it, and now I run a Twitter, which I only do like occasionally. And uh, then most of the projects I have some involvement with because like they need promotion and stuff. Uh, but I'm I'm not really I'm not really the person pushing forward on starting new projects. That's actually like the wonderful community that we found is always energetic for new projects and stuff like we had the eek tree uh horror game showcase over the summer and obviously the demo disc which did really well um and just like all of that stuff is is pushed forward by the community more than it is by me um the one thing i do uh is run the game jams though which uh is basically just making a page on itch and uh, doing a little bit of promotion, mm-hmm. um, which I've been I've been making I've been running game jams for like maybe uh, five years now, and I've been making games for seven. So it's a uh, pretty quick for me to run game jams. Yeah, actually, that's actually pretty interesting because one of the things that we've been struggling with at uh, Dread XP is. You know, we're we're doing something that's like similar to a game jam, but really like isn't a game jam. 
uh, with the, the Dread X collection. So how would you, you know, you have a really great insight into this as someone who's not only participated in game jams, but also run game jams and also has participated in the Dread X collection. How would you say for that they, they differ? Uh, so, well, Dread X differs quite drastically from the game jams I try to run, uh, where, uh, like, in my game jams, I'm usually like, oh, you finished the game two weeks after the deadline? Sure, submit it. Uh, or isn't this, it's got to be a deadline because we're, we're actually working to make a commercial release. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I mean, a lot of a lot of game jams have that sort of deadline, but uh, I th- I think also it's it's hard to like differentiate. I mean, obviously the big difference is that this is paid and the game jam isn't. Mm-hmm. And in a game jam, if you're like, well, I'm I'm just like not going to finish this game. Uh, that's perfectly fine. But in right. this, if I don't finish the game, uh, I'm pretty sure Ted will shout at me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have a comment, like, because this is very, uh, like, this is what I do. So in the beginning, uh, we were just, you know, like Ted uh, and John, you know, just thought of like Dread XP and they didn't quite figure out yet exactly what Dread XP was going to be. So Ted had said, oh, we're doing like a paid game jam. And then as we went through like the, the second collection, we're just like, you know what? Uh, I don't think we're a game jam. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't me who said that. It was actually uh, Patrick, uh, the person who like helps us with funding and stuff. And yeah. Ted and I were just like, "Yeah, you're kind of right." You know, like we're we're more of a incubator. And so now I've started to say uh, curated short games because we do mm. curate our developers. Like we we specifically choose developers that we really like and really believe in that like we know are going to do a good job. And so far it's worked out, but like the problem is the public has already caught onto that, that, oh, it's a game jam. And I think that's part because we're so experimental and so new, but it's something that like I really struggle with. And I've had to tell like a lot of streamers uh, (laughs) to like not say that uh, because, and I I will admit like we did say that in the beginning. So yeah, I I started at the beginning, I called it a curated jam. That was actually my pitch to Patrick was to call it a curated jam, whereas opposed to being open to the public, it was like closed off. So it was like, you know, it's, it's a jam, but instead of it being just anyone it's it's specifically people we selected but yeah that's something we've, we've tried to move away from because it's really not i mean as 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 uh, brogan can attest it's not really a, a jam yeah i mean there's no such thing as a paid jam because a jam like you do for the love of making a game yeah and actually that's something uh like i think about game jams as well is that they shouldn't have prizes mm-hmm. um they like the point of hosting game jams for me is to encourage people's creativity and not just like not just like working on a passion project for a year but working on a project and seeing how other people entering game jam are working on a project at the same time and uh i I think actually that's something that dread x collection has in common with jams which is while i'm working on my game i'm also looking at the discord and seeing what the other developers are doing um and that's really energizing. And we do like communicate and collaborate about like how our games are going, um, which is something that I think DreadX has a, a strong point at Game Jams do too. Um, I just want to like also pipe in like to add what you're saying that I've had several people being like DreadX should do a game jam, and like my response is always like, 
there is already a haunted PS1. If you want to do a game jam, that's what they do, you know? Because yeah. uh, I'm yeah. try definitely trying to be distinctive here between what you do and what we do. Uh, because, like, we are a company, we are a business, we are for profit, you know, and, like, we have to do taxes and all that, you know, accounting, <laughs> all that, like, you know, not fun stuff. So there's, like, benefits and downsides to both doing a community and a business side. But we have to be distinctive between our two yeah. like, communities. Uh, but you know what? There's enough room for everybody. And even if there was, like, 17 more horror communities, like, the more the <laughs> merrier, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, the one thing that, that Haunted PS1 gets away with is, like, its name and its logo. Like, a company would not get away with that. And I actually have to, like, have to tell developers not to put our branding in paid projects because that would be really dodgy. But I think for free projects, like, Sony's not going to come to some free itch page and be like, take this down. Yeah. Well, maybe they will someday, but haven't yet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just want to say really quick, like the benefits of doing jams uh, is like one, first of all, anyone can join in. It's a learning experience. And again, like too many developers think that game dev is just all commercial products and they don't really appreciate like exactly what hobby game dev is because, you, you know, you don't see that at E3. You don't see that in like big showcases of Microsoft. And, and that's what for a lot of people, that's the only like experience they have with games is with through these like big companies and so the concept of hobby game dev doesn't even occur to them so that's why i think that why game jams are so important is so you you can see like how you practice and how you grow uh and like you'll discover things about yourself creatively that you never thought possible that it's hard to do with a commercial product I agree. Uh, yeah yeah there's definitely some stuff that i've done in uh my hobbyist projects that i definitely wouldn't do in a paid project <laughs> Um, like making walking simulators. Who's well, gonna pay for one of them? <laughs> uh, depends on how good the walking simulator is. I That's mean, true if, too. If you though. wanted to make everyone's gone to the rapture too, I would definitely pay for that. I really liked everyone's gone to the rapture. I like walking simulators. I think that there needs to be. They're good. I like them too. Well, I, I think that there needs to be some kind of walking simulator renaissance, like possibly yeah. because visual, because if you think about it, visual novels are basically just walking simulators, but with, with, with text instead of feet. <laughs> yeah. Now you're like thinking about it. You're like, that's so smart, but Ted said it's so dumb. Uh, I don't know if that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Ted. I got it. I got it. Don't worry. Um, Actually, that actually does lead into something uh, kind of interesting uh, that I wanted to ask, um, which is, how would you rate the, the level? Because, like, basically you're saying that with the game jams, you have kind of more freedom to experiment. But with a paid product, you have, like, like, the commercial financial incentive and the pressure. Like, which do you think spurs, like, what, what kind of creativity do you feel that you get out of each of those projects? Because, like sometimes you do need those hard deadlines to make tough calls and actually get the product done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what I would say is that money spurs productivity and uh, creative motivation, like a game jam spurs creativity, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not going to be as productive for a hobbyist project, probably as you are for like something you're being paid to do. Mm -hmm. um but one of the advantages of a paid thing is you can be like well i'm gonna stop now because i've done a full day's work whereas with a game jam i find myself like trailing off into the, like 
early hours of the morning working on it sometimes. Yeah. Well, plus, like, there's no pressure to cut features or to, to like, do something, like, because with the game jam, you can kind of release a product that's, like, wonky as shit and be like, yeah, well, you know, I was experimenting. And, like, if it doesn't, if it doesn't land, then, like, what, what's whatever, you know? Yeah. So, some jam games are, like, a hundred different mechanics the developer wanted to put in them. And yeah. some are, like, one really polished uh, mechanic. And the ones, the ones that always do well in the jams, like, say, Ludum Dare has a rating uh, system, the ones that, like, rate high-end jams, they're actually not, like, the most interesting games. They're the single-polished mechanic games, mm-hmm. um, which is good practice for developers learning to make commercial projects. But the ones that I always find most interesting are the, like, 50 mechanics-in-one games, where it's, like... I can see you had so many cool ideas here and I want to see you make more with this. And I think in the long run, those developers are going to make more interesting games. Well, I don't want to say that I think one developer well, is going to make more interesting games than another, you know? Well, well, what I would say is that one developer is like practicing for making commercial games and one developer is practicing for making like more interesting games because commercial games are not always as interesting as hobbyist projects yeah yeah like i would say that um actually this kind of feeds back into what we were talking about earlier with no man's sky like that was a game that had a bazillion mechanics and uh they really needed a lot more time and money and like to polish up a lot of that stuff which it seems like they've done now uh but with the thing that drew so many people into no man's sky was this idea of all this different stuff you can do. It's kind of like um, what people draws people into uh, the idea of Star Citizen, though Star Citizen will never be a real thing. Is Star Citizen a thing? Is it ever going to be a thing? It is. You can go play Star Citizen now. No uh, way. It's, You're lying. It's an empty, like, hellscape, but you can play it. There's um, not. I and mean, you can crash after, like, an hour of playing, apparently, but you can play they, it. Uh, didn't they... I mean, they promised to build, like, a entire in-game solar system which is impossible and like you know people gave them 80 billion dollars for some reason so you know <laughs> they've already they've already won they've already made the money uh, now whatever they're doing is just uh just for the love of the game uh, how do they how do they still keep getting people to donate like uh, they sell them ships people are here buy this cool new spaceship we made yeah, it's only five thousand dollars. Yeah, people love, 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 love to get rooked. They, they fucking love it. So <laughs> I, I want to talk. This is like I want to talk about something that's relevant to like what you guys are talking about, but just like a degree slightly different. Is that okay? So people love these high end, polished, you know, three D games. All right, but like. Not everyone wants to make those, not you know, and those can get monotonous after a while. But like, some, for some people, they think that is what a game is. At the same time, people love again that classic uh, Resident Hill games, you know, from the '90s. <laughs> and so, I am like, one of the goals that I want to do for Dread XP is bridge that gap because so many people will not give these experimental indie artsy horror games a chance, but I know if they play these games, they will absolutely love them. So I want to start to 
promote like the haunted ps1 game like because i've done this before i've talked to so many streamers that are like oh my goodness i'm obsessed with resident evil and i'm like oh cool have you seen this entire community <laughs> that makes like ps1 game like ps1 style games you don't have to you know these are all different games so you can have these new experiences and so i'm just trying to make that idea like more popular so like what do you think about that like if you have any suggestions of how you can we can like send that message out or like how maybe yeah and especially for like a newer generation who maybe didn't play the 90s uh games because they don't you know because that's we talk about digital libraries right now some some of these games are hard to come by uh because they're not preserved so maybe for the younger generation we want to keep this style alive yeah well what i would say is uh that i think uh AAA publishers should just like fund 100 100 ps1 games and uh they'd make more money um no i really i really think that if like like what you're doing with red x if if we got funding for this like running running a community like the 100 ps1 and like making games as a hobbyist it's exhausting um and a lot of people burn out on it and i think i think it should be like more more viable to make these like half an hour to one hour long games um so that that's why i was kind of thinking like dread x is great because it does that but it would be like pretty uh financially stable to just like invest in a bunch of indie devs and if like one of them doesn't pay out then so be it but like you've still got like a hundred other developers out there to make money off i don't know PlayStation is doing something like that with the PlayStation Talents program, where they they it was this was in Spain, where they they fund like, and I have the, they have these initiatives in a number of different countries where they fund like a bunch of indies and they basically give them a place to work for a year. Uh, Jesse, you actually reviewed one of the PlayStation Talents games. What was it called? Fear, Dawn of Fear. Uh, something like that. It was really good. Uh, it was like Resident Evil, but even more janky. Um, but it just had so much charm and like it, it was in. Like clearly they didn't have a trans like they didn't have a person translate. They just went to like Google Translate and put in all their dialogue, which makes it even more authentic. Um, uh, yeah, it was great. I just think uh, that yeah. So basically, until 2016, there wasn't like really like indie publisher was just like such a bizarre term until 2016 that all of a sudden there was a ton of people that were indie publishers and people were like, mm. "What's going on here? This isn't you know like you know." This isn't, but a lot of these publishers now, indie publishers like Team 17 and Chucklefish, Devolver are kind of run like AAA, like smaller AAA, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, now that these like indie, quote unquote, indie publishers are now more AAA-ish, um, and also there's smaller ones like Whitethorn Games, Rose City Games, uh, and several, uh, Finji, you know, that are more smaller like Dread XP. But mm. now that there's more fundings, like I'm like I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. Kaluni Knights. Oh my god, I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing Knights. Kaluni Knights. Kaluni, yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm talking. All of a sudden, they just kind of came out of nowhere and put in a bunch of funding. And then also, like Super Hot Presents is also a fund. So there's a difference between a publisher and a fund. 
And, and a fund, you know, isn't like we're going to market your game for you, that we're going to take this certain amount of equity. It's like just to mostly help the developers. And I've seen a mm. rise of funds over publishing. And so this is great because now developers have this option of like, do they want a company that is going to help them sell the game and market the game? Or are they like just going to get a fund and then have to market them themselves, but also they still get the money. And like right now, I know uh, I can't say too much details, but I know somebody who is making a worldwide fund where they're specifically not just Spain or like certain countries, but like all countries around the world. That's not Japan and the U.S. because they, they're pretty much set, you know, in the U.K. <laughs> but like there's like Brazil and the, like the Philippines and, you know, South Africa that like really need these funds. And so now it's starting to get more popular and so they are starting to ask these like big uh, people because a lot of these big millionaires want to invest in games, but they end up making like a, an app that nobody wants because <laughs> they don't know how to make games. They don't know how to how to make something that's appealing because they don't care. They don't actually care about games. They just want to like make money off of it. They just want an investment out of it. So um, they, it's like the, the industry is constantly changing. So I, that's just my prediction in the future is that funds are going to become more popular, more developers are going to understand that. But at the same time, all these games that are more marketable are, are going to like the, the, the what is marketable is going to change quite a bit. And like, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, but just a few years ago, uh, indie games were not, you know, not as polished. And like just within, I'd say like six years now, indie games are mm. looking closer and closer to AAA uh, because the competition's getting a lot fiercer to make like i don't think binding of isaac would sell nowadays uh like it did back then if that makes sense because the standard for indies is now very different yeah so well yeah no it, <laughs> you're no, entirely right yeah. the standard of indie has 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 gone up by a considerable margin but it's not uh like it's also the case that like the 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 standard for indie that has been set for like the level of polish that we need is like the, the, it's it's really really high even by like because people don't understand how expensive it is to make a game even an indie game like you know for 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 braid which came out in 2008 which is a fuck i guess that's a hundred years ago now it's, <laughs> it's like two presidents ago jesus christ um braid was it was a hundred grand and when we're, we're talking about like indie like the the perception of indie now is that there's kind of like two camps of the indie. You have like the Sea of Solitude, which was published by EA. That game like had fucking money, you know? Like, I don't care yeah. if it's seven people working at the studio. They clearly had money um, versus, you know, something like on itch.io, which is true in your basement, one person working on a game indie. Um, and, you know, if you go back to like Braid, you know, it was, Jonathan, what was, it, was that was a Jonathan Blow, right? Jonathan Blow was Braid. Uh, he put a hundred, hundred grand into that game. Like, I'm sorry, uh, Brogon, do you have a hundred grand sitting around to make your the the platform hmm. time platform <laughs> of your dreams? Like, I think uh, I think one good indicator of how broad indie is is that if you go by the definition, uh, Star Wars Episode One, Two, and Three are indie movies. <laughs> yeah, because uh, he published them himself. So I mean, you're talking about the prequels, right? Yeah, the prequels. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they did have Paramount. Uh, <laughs> that definitely had a sanction and did give some money. Uh, but, you know, in that merch <laughs> deal that, I don't know, we're not talking about Star Wars because that that's a whole, like, <laughs> like um, but sorry, let me just say this real quick and then uh, I'll let you talk. So basically, like, I just want to say real quick for Dread XP, like what we want to do is like raise the perception of these experimental indie horror games. Because if we do that, then even people who are not involved with us 
will have a better chance at selling their games later on because the you know the whole idea of indie experimental games will be popular and people will want to buy them so it basically will help like the entire genre is like what my goal is even if you're not involved with dread xp we want to help all horror game gamers yeah what what i would say actually about the quality expectations of indie now is that stuff like the ps1 style or like even pixel art still um or like low poly was big a few years back um is that it actually like these art art directions create an easier workflow for indies to get to that level of polish because if you're if your models aren't like a million polys it takes a lot easier it, it takes a lot less time to make them yourself alone in your room and you can get up to like the quality level or if like your textures are only 64 by 64 pixels it's so much quicker to make than like a full pbr material um so i think actually that like relying on stuff like the ps1 style which personally i feel like heightens a sense of like horror or whatever um it also makes it a lot easier for indie games to make higher quality or indie developers to make higher quality games um and i think like that's partially like that's the massive amount of the reason we're seeing so much of this style now um and why like personally in the time i've been running the haunted ps1 for like just over two years now it's it's boomed out into like a massive massive uh like section of itch.io basically if you look at it yeah yeah take it over <laughs> basically awesome yeah and like did you expect people to like it as much as you did like or was it just a surprise because that's what happened to wholesome games i talked to them like the guy who uh one of the guys who runs that's one of my best friends and i talked to him all the time and he's like I just like Animal Crossing. I had no idea that Awesome <laughs> Games was going to like blow up like that, you know. But I, I guess it's it was just the time. It was the right timing. Yeah. Well, like what I was saying earlier, uh, I think when I was introducing myself and in, like the Haunted PS One was that I just made the Haunted PS One so I can talk to other developers mm -hmm. who were doing stuff like me, which at the time was like maybe enough people I could count on one on two hands, like. It it was a was a small small amount of people, but I wanted to bring people together so so we could share knowledge and everything. Um, and it just like it just like all came together around around a haunted PS one because we were there at the right time to catch the big influx of people making that style and people being inspired. Um, yeah. And luckily, the community stayed like super, super good about like sharing, sharing knowledge, and being just like genuinely nice to each other. Uh, I I think game devs in general, like I've been uh, on the content creator side, like being a Twitch partner, and let me tell you, content creators are not as warm and friendly as developers are. And I think that's partially because like it's easier to be a content creator than it is to be a developer. There's a lot of technical aspects to a developer and there's no way that you can know everything that's why we have like you know apis and you know back end <laughs> yeah um, um sorry uh also i think like uh 
big thing about why a lot of people want to make, they want to capitalize on indie games. A lot of people want to take advantage of developers, but they're not developers themselves. So they don't actually know what developers need or want. And they just make uh, indie something something. And I think like why Wholesome Games, uh, Dread XP, Haunted PS1 is doing so well is because it's niche. Uh, so I, I tell anyone, if you want to make a community, make sure it has something that has a focus on it. Uh, because I think if it was just like, uh, you know, I think the Haunted PS1, the fact that it's PS1, like it has a certain theme and aesthetic to it that people get automatically in their heads. And I think that's why, that's partially why it uh, grew so much. Well, yeah. And yeah. I, oh, go oh, on. Go ahead, Ted. No, go ahead. Oh, uh, well, what I was going to say is that, like, I do actually get developers on the Haunted PS1 talking about how, like, before they came there or even, like, still on other, say, discords for game development, um they will they will get much less help when they like have trouble or they'll be like less welcomed or anything and i think part part of that's the size of the haunted ps1 right now which it's still not too big but also i think part of that is like like you said the the niche or uh like like any good thing needs a hook yeah, yeah. absolutely especially the fishing games <laughs> <laughs> I did, a, I did a little rim shot on my desk. I don't know if my mic picked it up or if it just exploded my microphone. I, I don't know. I'll have to see it post. <laughs> no, but, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, I'll I put it in a fun noise. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> uh, I can always rely on you for the sick backbeats. Bye, Dom. Yes. Uh, I want to say one more thing before we move on to actually talking about Bubbo, which is the game that you made for us, um, which is that one of the things I love about the horror space is, um, like, the, the horror space has always been a place where people can experiment and create things that, like, as long as the emotive drive of horror is there, it doesn't, like, you, the graphics don't need to be amazing. And this is actually, like, cross-genre. Uh, cross like, you know, Paranormal Activity, little indie horror film, makes the whole franchise, I think, made over, like, $1.6 billion, you know? It, it makes so much money. And the first the first movie took $10,000 to create, but then $135,000 in marketing. Um, you know, th that, that's a huge difference in the ratio of spending. And frankly, they probably spent a lot more than that in marketing. It's just like not the money that they declared was for that specific marketing. Um, there was probably a lot that went in, into, you know, that, that part of paranormal activity. Um, that, that being said, like, you know, that, that movie doesn't look great. It's a found footage movie. It, it started this whole trend of movies not looking great. And I think that, uh, you know, with, with horror, like indie horror is like, you get, you get a game like Mortal Shell, right? Which is a Dark Souls clone. And it is gorgeous. The game isn't very good. Like, it's very pretty, though. The game is actually, like, bad. But it's a very pretty game. And uh, read my review at dreadxp.com. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, like, it's not, but it, it probably made a bunch of money. Like, it, you know, probably it made some buzz on the streaming community because it's pretty to look at. And that's the thing is, like, as long as your game is pretty enough, people will play it. And as long as you put enough money into marketing, people will buy your game. Like, it's it, that's the thing is, like, as long as you have enough money to put into marketing, you'll probably make your money back. Um, but horror is, like, the one space in the industry where you get, like, really disruptive games. Something like Five Nights at Freddy's, yeah. um, where, like, Five Nights at Freddy's is, is Scott Cawthon's 78th game. And it, it doesn't look great. It looks good. It doesn't look great. It looks good. And it, it, it just really, really landed. And, and that was, that's, that's what's fascinating to me about the horror space is that, you know, you don't need 
to have million dollar graphics uh, to guarantee success. It's like the one space where people can still kind of break through without needing uh, uh, something that looks really great. That and um, like novelty games like Goose Game. Like that can also, <laughs> you can also break through with Goose Game. So either make Five Nights at Freddy's or Goose Game. Easy as that, guys. Then you'll have or a million hey, dollars. Do both and make Baldi's Basics. <laughs> there we go. Uh, that's the that's the, the 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 haunted educational game, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we almost had uh, Mogwai Poet, the guy that made Frog Fractions, really wanted to be part of Dread X Three, but he couldn't figure out a way to scope it in uh, with the limited time frame. So hopefully, we'll be able to get him out on a future future project. Oh, that it's, would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I was sad, but you know, he was very on board. He just you know just couldn't figure out a way to scope it with. Uh... We have a lot of devs that are in the wait. You know, like they're. <laughs> That have made notable things that we just haven't had a chance to work with them yet. But again, it's our first year. Oh, if I so, just yeah. if I was just to take the devs that have already told me they want to do it, I would have enough developers for ten more collections. This is yes. it, like easily, like just in my DMs right now. It's 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 fucking nuts. <laughs> um, which is you know why we are happy to announce DreadX Collection four through twelve coming out in January. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That would be way too much work. Star would lose her fucking mind. Yeah, like we've done three games and we have a showcase coming up in six months. So yeah, that showcase, I was going through the trailers for that showcase today and we've got some real bangers. I know. I told you, dude. Like I was I was like a little worried. I was like, is it all going to be like, uh, I don't want to say itch.io crap because there's good stuff on itch.io. But uh, even Bro- Brogon, you know what I mean when I say like there's like a lot of bad stuff on itch.io as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I was worried about um, yeah it's a but i want to do postmodem on the showcase i can't reveal anything obviously but the showcase <laughs> now but i just want to like anybody listening right now you should be very excited like yeah, it's I'm coming excited. together like really nice although i'm dreading having to do the rejection emails to the oh. oh no no let me let me tackle it because i can yeah I can i'll do it like, for you it <laughs> sounds like a blast I <laughs> Jesse just is like likes the power. He likes just being able to tell people no. He's like, I have no control over my own life, but in this way, I can be god of my kingdom. Yeah, beggars can't be choosers. I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I really have I'll a send it. I'll send them to developers that haven't been rejected. Preemptively <laughs> ruin the experience, and then you can swoop back in and be like, "Hey, just kidding, pranks." Oh God, Jesse. <laughs> It was just a prank, bro. It's pull for a new Logan Paul video. It's a TikTok challenge. Rejecting people for showcases. <laughs> the rejection letter challenge. I'm just gonna okay. I'm just gonna post it on every itch.io game that I like in the comments. Rejected. To people that nobody, didn't even submit. Yeah, nobody's connected. Just. <laughs> I, I can imagine uh, how how looking at those trailers today was because it, it was basically the same with like the demo disc and Eek Tree, where like yeah. you you don't expect to get like a bunch of people submitting extremely like really well made stuff, but then uh, then it happens and you're just like blown away by everything, but maybe one or two of them. You know, speaking about extremely well-made stuff that blows you away, let's talk about your game for the Dread X Collection 3. Oh, Segway Master, that's why I get the big bucks. Lord Ted O'Reilly <laughs> with the fucking excellent control of the narrative. Um, d- yeah, like, actually, you know, we're, we're coming up on the, uh, the the 45-minute mark here, so I think we should probably transition to talking about, you know, the game if you don't yeah. mind. Let's do that. 
Let's talk about Bobo. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Jesse, Jesse, you have played Bobo. I did. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like I don't know. Uh, it kind of reminded me of like uh, like a Hat in Time or uh, Banjo Kazooie, um, but with just like this like subtle, disturbing undertone. And I wasn't able to get uh, all the way through it, um, but from what I did see, it is amazing, and I'm really looking forward to playing it again. Yeah, I mean, I the, the obviously the the uh, the parallel that I would say is that it it reminds me of like Lego Island with the same level of creepy undertones. Because Lego Island had some weird, <laughs> creepy undertones that always freaked me out as a kid. I was, like, scared of Lego Island. They had that burglar, and I was always like, oh, no, he's going to take my soul. Um, yeah, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to make something inspired by N64, uh, just, just, just to throw people for a loop. Uh, you know, you expect me, find, find a haunted PS1 to make a PS1-style game? No way. Um... <laughs> But, like, as soon as... Uh, You're crossing Ted to the said, other side of the console wars with the haunted N64 games. <laughs> <laughs> you traitor. <laughs> yeah, right now, right here, I'm announcing my new Discord server. <laughs> <laughs> haunted 64. That would be great. But, yeah, so what I was going to say is that as soon as Ted said that the theme was spoopy, I I immediately wanted to make, uh, make a platformer. <laughs> because I could just, like see in my head the the places you can go with like uh an early 3d platformer that's just a little bit off um but don't worry it's gonna be very off by the end oh good good yeah i mean uh I, we are currently re- like get reaching the end of our development cycle so i'm excited to see how it all wraps up together don't spoil it for the fans but why don't you go ahead and give us a brief overview of what uh, Bubbo's adventure on Gerald's Island is is about. So Bubbo Adventure on Gerald's Island is essentially the N64 game you remember playing, but uh, but uh, it's not an N64 game, and it's just not quite right. Um, it's a it's a 3D platformer inspired by uh, Mario 64 and like Banjo Kazooie. Um, which are games that I actually haven't played a bunch of, <laughs> funny enough. But I, uh, I think I'm I'm getting there with the style, and uh, it's basically a 3D platformer where you go around collecting things um, and do some like not too taxing platforming uh, because it's 3D and hard platforming in 3D is 500 times as hard. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it's it's been fun to try and make good feeling movement and like something that feels authentic to the era at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously it's got the horror angle where uh, stuff just doesn't feel quite right. I'm trying to like subvert subvert the genre, I guess, and uh, build up a sense of yeah. a sense that everything is just wrong that's great i mean i love subtle horror but every time i hear subverting expectations i now think of the last jedi that's the only thing i can think of whenever anyone says <laughs> <My that. goodness. laughs> i like the last jedi but I, I, that's another discussion for another day yeah it's really hard for me to say those terms now because it just feels like everyone says that about their games like oh my game has a twist at the end i'm like 
what horror game doesn't have a twist at the end? Like I, I expect a twist yeah. in a horror game. So it's it's really hard to like market things like that. <laughs> so that's why I do think like developers should give more details because that's not enough anymore to get people excited about the game. So like I, I think you know, with the island, you have like in a, I don't know if they're masks or that's their actual faces. I don't know what you decided on, but they're like little uh, animals. I haven't decided the... on either. Oh, okay. Are they wearing like a cape or like a, a dress or uh, a robe? Robe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I say dress? I meant robe. Yeah. So they're like animals uh, with like robes on. They're all like kind of same-ish in that way. Um, and there's like some beautiful environments and it's like really fun to jump around in and bubbo definitely stands out uh you know yeah, um, it so, definitely so, feels like a stranger it's so cool because uh bubbo standing out not only in the game but also as a game within the collection it's been so cool to see how different the games are with each collection because i, I always i start off we start off the first one i was like oh no are we gonna get 10 of the same spooky hallway game and like <laughs> you know i it's it's been the same for every collection is that like we actually get a wide variety of games and i know that this is the first episode for the collection three collection of episodes but uh it, it, once again we have like 12 wildly different games you know yeah i was uh i was scared uh a little bit at the start because uh blood machine is also making a 3d platformer but it turns out we're making completely different ends of like the 3d platformer space so it's completely fine <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're more Super Mario World, uh, and she's more, um, it kind of feels like Sonic, you know, like Sonic. Yeah, I, th I think, I think that's, uh, like her inspiration as well. Yeah, really excited to see, to, to play the, the final version of that. By the way, I was looking at 3D platformers, uh, while we were talking because of my ADD. Did you know that, uh, there's a game by Rare called Grabbed by the Ghoulies that's about fighting zombies and it's a platformer? But I was like, wait a second, doesn't that mean balls? Like, isn't that, like, how did that game get made? I'm, I guess this is by the people that made Conker's Bad Fur Day, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure in the UK that means balls even more. Yeah. What? I've never, ugh, do I live under a rock? I've never heard this before. Yeah, just imagine Jason Statham saying it. You gotta grab him by the go lays, and then you're like, oh yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Although, if you say anything like that in an English accent with Jason Statham voice, it always uh, sounds like you're talking about balls. But I also like, think that you have a filter of, like, sexualness. Like, you look at something and I'm like, that's a building. And you're like, that building looks like a penis. Like, that's just how you are, Ted. Like, Okay, well, okay. if you've ever been to London, if you've seen the gherkin, that does look like a giant dick. <laughs> Brogon, back me up. I live in Ireland. Don't ask me. This is very you've definitely not the UK. You've never been to London? Don't see much point of going to England. <laughs> oh my god. But no, here's... Okay, back up for a second. I understand that there's a conflict between England and no, Ireland. I'm, I'm completely kidding. I just haven't been to England. I've been I've been to uh, Northern Ireland and I've been to Scotland, but I've never... Uh, actually, no, I have been to England, but I didn't go to, uh, go to London. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that uh, if you've been to Northern Ireland, you've technically been to England... Hey. Start the flame war! No, Let's that's, go! That's, that's, that's the UK, I'll have you know. Yes, I know. I know it's the United Kingdoms of uh, of England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Yes, that is the United Kingdoms. 
Oh my goodness. Oh, no one cares about whales. Come on. Let's all shit on whales oh for a little bit. Oh my god. Yeah, don't say I think that. whales is probably better than England. Actually, I just, love whales. Just, actually... uh, just from my observation of the people in England and how they have been acting in, oh, yeah. say, the last year. I actually loved Wales. I went to Wales and I was like, this is lovely countryside and these these sheep are so lovely. I can see why. I can see why the Welsh yeah, I think sheep. Yeah, I think it seems really pretty. Yeah, I mean, um, it is. It is. But... I, I actually, I, I liked Wales. I mean, I, I, I was in England for a long time, so I, I know the area and stuff. But I'm just saying that the Gherkin is a giant building <laughs> in London that looks like a pickle. It, uh... it, that's why it's called the Gherkin. It says Gherkin is English for pickle. That's what that means. It's, like it's a, a pickle. Funniest yeah. shit I've ever seen. I know, right? It is the funniest shit I've ever th- seen. Oh my god, I never realized that Pickle Rick is actually a phallus, because he's oh being a god. dick. He's being a dick in that scene. It's really deep. Uh, well, look, I, I'm just lovely. saying that... Hey, what? Let me uh, what? I was going to say, we need lovely hell place here to be like the in-between. <laughs> <laughs> like, James, I need to hear James's opinion on this. I, I'm, I'm just saying... All I'm saying is, to be fair, you have to have an extremely high IQ to understand Rick and Morty. The humor is extremely subtle, and without a solid grasp of theoretical physics, most of the jokes will go over the typical viewer's head. That is the copy pasta, by the way. I am reading from the copy pasta. So, all you youths, no, I think you know it off by heart. <laughs> I, I actually memorized the Navy Seal uh, guerrilla warfare copy pasta once. Okay. Oh, that's a great one to learn off by heart. Okay. I want to go back to Bubbo. I think we're oh, going right. to have a good idea. Not heard. Uh, you just kind of given like a brief overview of like, yeah, I made it haunted in sixty four game, and like, what is it about this? Like, you don't have to get spoiled the end of it. Like, uh, but you can be like, what is it about this island? What's the appeal of it? What was like some like developer like design stuff that you did? Anything about it that surprised you, or you know, was it smooth? Like, uh, okay, uh, that's that's quite broad. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but I will, I will, I'll give uh, what my, like, in my head, what my pitch to myself was. It was wandering onto someone else's uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons island, and all of the animals just talking about that person. Oh, okay. And just, like, hearing the weird-ass stuff they say, and, like, how, how cultish it all is, because, like, those animals in Animal Crossing form like this big cult around the one human who lives on the island, and it's really unnerving. That's a good point. I never thought of it like that. So, like, what are all the mechanics? Like, you you jump, you collect things. Uh, yeah, you jump, you collect things. Uh, sometimes you uh bounce on things. Uh, one one thing that I've done that uh isn't very I, I feel isn't very n64-ish of me is that there's like no health system and there's no when you die you just get set back to like the last piece of ground you're on basically because i i don't like i don't think a health like a like game over screen is necessary that's not what the game's about the game's about getting across this atmosphere and this story and if you want to be like if you want to challenge yourself with it, you can speed run it, or yeah. like you can, you can completionist run it, or whatever. 
Just have it when it takes you back to the previous spot you were. Just have a little pentagram. A little hell portal. That's spooky. There we go. We made it spooky. Don't worry, it's a horror game now. We fixed it. <laughs> yeah, and there's a there's this guy with a completely white face that you can't see any features on, and uh, he disappears and reappears in front of you. And it's terrifying. Oh my god. <laughs> no, that's not it. To be clear, that is not in Bubbo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We should just, but, uh, make, I mean, I've been, I, I would love the idea of creating a future collection where there's a Slender Man, but it's all games that we don't market as Slender Man, and all of a sudden it's a Slender Man bundle. I, I, <laughs> I think that's fun. Because I, I actually really like Slender, oh wait, no, I'm getting distracted again. Uh, yeah. Star, Star, I'm going to go use the restroom so that I can't distract us with my fucking bullshit anymore, so you keep asking questions, I'll be right back. Oh, I knocked over everything. Yeah, I feel weird because I'm just like, I, I like the other discussion, but like, I really want to talk about Bobo. So sorry if I yeah. if I seem focused on that. No, that's that's perfectly fine. And I want to talk about Bobo as well, because um, there is, it's it's been my life for like two weeks or so, <laughs> and uh, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, so like, so you talk about mechanics, you talked about like your inspiration, your pitch to yourself. What is the reaction that you're hoping that streamers have when they play it? I'm hoping, uh, like, I'm, I'm hoping at first, like, obviously, they like feel like, oh, yeah, this is just like, a cute platformer, I don't see anything scary. And I'm hoping by the end, uh, that they have a crippling sense of existential dread. Ooh, okay, that's really cool. So yeah, are you like, when I see games, I always imagine, okay, so how is a streamer going to like like this part of the game, right? So do you have ways that you set up so that you can have different like beats of the game where like like something new happens? Or is it just like a continuous like playground, like a sandbox? Well, so the, the island is structured into a couple of sections and uh, I've, I've kind of... Uh, like in my head I've said the first action is like the town area where it's tutorializing the movement and you're introduced to the like the story um and you're given your first quest and there's like uh essentially four different quests you do throughout um and then once once you've accustomed yourself and you've like essentially shown that you can do the basic platforming that's required of you to complete the game you are given given the second quest, which takes you into another area, which is the sewers, um, mm -hmm. which then through completing stuff in the sewers, you can get to the third area, which is the forest. Um, and so I've, I've split it into like that. And then the, far, the forest, obviously, uh, the forest has the last two quests. So that's more of an open uh, sandbox area. Um, and that's going to have like more more openness to how you like platform and it's gonna be much bigger. Well, it is much bigger. <laughs> um, and so I I'd kind of uh, structured it so I could bring the player into the world and the gameplay at the same time, hopefully. <laughs> um, and at, at the same time, like things are slowly getting more and more off in terms of like, the spookiness factor. Is it like easy to like, like is the easier part like making the game itself or is it like putting in the spooky stuff? And um, I think, I think the spooky stuff is like 
because a lot of the spooky stuff is stuff I've had to think about a lot while I'm making the game, but it's it's not stuff I've been act- actively implementing. Like most of the spooky stuff is at a at a like if you just look at it dead on, it's not too much work to add the spooky stuff. However, to come up with the spooky stuff is the real challenge. Like, mm-hmm. like anyone can say, oh, and then we put a jump scare here, but I don't like to use jump scares. And like, I'm not relying on a heavy atmosphere this time with this game. So I have to do, I have to do things that actually like mentally you think about them and then it's a scary thing, um, which is, one of the harder things to do in horror is to create something that's contextually scary compared to like objectively scary. Yeah, it turns out the yeah. reason people add jump scares to the games is that it's really easy. <laughs> I feel like Airdor Summer Night is like the perfect example of that. And so is Corpse Piles games. Where they're so unassuming at first, and then you know, eventually you know, and it then the creepiness starts to happen. Like Corpse Pile made this game, um, that was like one minute long and that was one of the scariest games ever played whereas you're trying to close the garage door (laughs) Mm. and there's a hand that like comes out like that keeps the garage door open and (laughs) like what do you do in that situation right and it's something that's like day everyone i also just want to point out that you're that that's a big difference between you and blood's game uh blood machine is that like like blood like her game is just dripping, literally, like, the, the sky, <laughs> the atmosphere, the filters, like, everything about that game is, like, heavy and thick with atmosphere. And so, and then yours is more light and bright and, like, seemingly cheerful. So I, I think yeah. that fiction is, like, amazing. But also, like, is also with my game, I'm trying to go for, like, almost that liminal space feel where it's it's so bright and it's so airy and it's so... It's so positive that it has to be wrong. There has to be something wrong with this. Like even, like even even Mario sixty four and uh, um, Donkey Kong had like antagonists and stuff. Where whereas there's not really that in Bobo. Uh, that might be a little bit of a spoiler, but hmm. there's kind of like I'm kind of trying to make it just like so overwhelmingly happy at the start and like that that it creates this sense of unease if that makes sense yeah you're given a contrast I yeah that's really important for developers to do because a lot of times they make games that how the game starts is how it finishes and that the player doesn't feel like they progressed at all so it, it sounds like like you have like a journey you're taking the player through a journey and so- yeah that's uh that's actually exactly how i see the story of it being a journey from like to start to the end um and it's it's not just like going from one place to another it's a journey through true events that are happening around you i guess um is there any like particular like content creator streamer youtuber that you really want to play this game that you think like will really get it and enjoy it um i would love to see uh there's like two i guess i'd love to see uh, Mr. Craven play it because I've been watching his YouTube videos since I first started to work on my first first horror game. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna make a horror game. I'd better uh, look at what other horror games do wrong." So I watched a, a snarky horror YouTuber. <laughs> Although he's not, he's not, he's 
more positive nowadays, but um, I, I wanted to learn what not to do. <laughs> um, and then I did a bunch of the stuff anyway. Um, and then the second the second uh, streamer I'd like to see play it is uh, Rockley Smile, who I've been a fan of for a long time since he played, like, I think one of the games I made in the first year or two of making games. Um, and who, who I just absolutely adore how he sees games. Um, and he, he has played uh, some of the Dread X collections, so I'm pretty sure he will uh, hopefully oh, play yeah. Bobo too. Yeah, actually, both of those player games. So, like, Mr. Craven has a bunch of Dread X collection videos, and so does... Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's really funny because when both of them are now like, hey, we're looking like for new games, everyone always... <laughs> says our game <laughs> like play dread x collection even uh main i'm just gonna say this right now mainly badass hero like just dm'd us like not too like an hour ago and was like wow dread x collections are now like well known and to me and ted were like oh really like <laughs> <laughs> uh and that's like kind of by purpose but i kind of also like there's a luck factor to that of like having a horror game catch on because there's so many good horror games and this is a big year for games in general there's been a lot of good games that come out so the fact that like our tiny little company that just started is like making a splash like right away is like really mm. good um and and i'm glad that like i will admit like my, a lot of like my branding is focused around specifically content creators i think that they've been like hungry for like a new kind of like resurgence of these kind of like horror games for a while Maybe yeah haunted ps1 like you've been working like how many years has haunted ps1 been around uh it only started in 2018 so about wow. two and a half now that's great. um yeah it's uh it's cool like it's actually grown so much in that time and i think dread x came in at the right time to start like monetizing on it <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, like, like I've said before, like the Dread X stuff has been something I've wanted to do for a long time. But really, like, it's it's because of the pandemic and like a lot of things shutting down that I was able to kind of find the funding to get this this done. I mean, I, I think that right now is a really good time for independent creators in general, because I think that um, the studio system of like investing so much money into, well, I, I don't know if that's. I, I just think that there's starting to be two separate worlds and with everyone kind of being stuck inside all day uh, for a very long period of time, pe more people's eyes are opening to what's out there. I mean, like, I know, for example, Jesse, um, who is still here, I believe, unless his microphone died again. Jesse, are you still here? Cool. Well, anyways, uh, Jesse has been diving into the world of itch.io and it's like, you know, he's been like, wow, there's like so much stuff I didn't know. And it, it, he was doing it for work, but I think I, I, I've, so it's, it's one of those things where, like, you know, if you told someone that your games are on, like, itch.io, like, four years ago, like, no one knows what that is. But now, mm. it's like, you know, you can actually have a following there. And so I think that a lot of people are, are, are waking up to this model. The only downside is that now there's people who are entitled that feel like all games should be free. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that DreadXP, I'm going to, like, I'm honestly going to fight these misconceptions. Like, I'm not just going <laughs> to, it's a problem with a lot of developers. They're like, I'm just going to be my own little bubble and make my thing. And then they get angry when like, you know, gamers have these assumptions, but they don't, they don't do anything about it. I actually want to do something about it. I actually want to show exactly why like people should try experimental horror games and, and why, you know, just because they don't have like the newest, fanciest graphics, just because micro, you know, it's not on game pass, like, 
or funded by Sony, like they still should give it a try. And they should like be like, like basically saying like, this is why you should be looking at itch, not just steam. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, or Epic game store. Like there, you know, I want to give like a bigger audience to this. And that's like one of the things I want to talk about with misconceptions. What you just I, said. I think that's one thing that the haunted PS one and Red X have in common where we're trying to, we're trying to show people that there are games on itch that are paid and stuff with like the demo disc, which was intended to be like demos for games that are going to be charged for are at least going to be of a scale that their release like can have a demo. And uh, also like with the Eek Tree showcase, that was really, really good. I think for showing off some, some games that are hopefully coming. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just curious, like, because um, we are also doing a showcase, but, like, by the way, everyone, like, anyone listening, I purposely, like, try to say a million miles away as far as the brand marketing of, like, what, you know, Eek 3 was compared to, like, what we're doing. Like, because there's a lot of variety and ways to experiment uh, here, and, like, people in their head have an idea of what horror is, but horror is actually pretty expansive. Mm. There's a lot, you know, of themes and ideas behind horror, and so, like, I... You know, it's actually pretty easy to do that, uh, to differentiate between the two communities. But um, I wanted to say, like, what would you do? Like, I mean, the first Eek 3 was so freaking good. <laughs> like, what do you want to do to improve it? Or, like, what's something you did that you want to try again? Or something you didn't get to, but you wanted to next time? So, to be perfectly honest, I was only involved in promoting and uh, enabling the stream to be run for Eek 3. Like I wasn't, I wasn't the person putting each tree together. I had like a look at some of the trailers beforehand, but I did not have like a high level of involvement in that project. Hmm. Um, so I'm not exactly the person to be asking about this. Uh, Amos might be uh, like Mo Moya Horror. Amos might be uh, more, might have more insight on that because he did a lot of the video editing for it. But uh, I, I just think like if we could do something as well as we did this year, next year, that would be insanely cool. Um, and hopefully we'd have a wider audience. Uh, and the same, the same with the demo disc. The demo disc is something I have been more hands-on with. Um, and like, I'm, I've kind of been trying not to say we'll do another one this year, but it, it's pretty clear we are going to do one. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've just not wanted to set an expectation in case we can't manage it, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to do another demo disc this year, which is really exciting to me because uh, um, I have a lot of cool ideas for where we can go with that, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see that. I, I thought the demo disc was great. That's how I discovered a lot of the, the people that we've you know tapped for uh, the DreadX collection stuff. Especially like uh, James Rag, you know, lovely hell place. Yeah, such a talented guy. Oh, I, I was so impressed with the reaction that the demo disc got because, like, until then, I think like our our Twitter had like uh like at least half the followers it had then, and our community, like our Discord community, had like a quarter of the members that it does now. Before like the the demo disc really kicked off uh, our community, like growing um and it's been so cool to see like what's come from that um and with 
with the scale of the projects and the like level of development that people are doing in our community, time moves so fast that like the demo disc feels like ages ago. And even Eek Tree is starting to feel like a long time ago, even though it was like, I think less than three months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel that <laughs> we, we're in the same position. <laughs> yeah. Tree, tree games and what, what is it? Tree games in three months, tree games in four months. Tree games in a, a six months, I think. Well, I six mean, months. Yeah, <laughs> Because the first one released back in uh, May, so technically it's it's three games in six months. But we we started actually production in April, so I guess it's yeah closer to eight months. But oh my god, who gives a shit at this point? Yeah, like, still it's, such yeah. a short timeline though. But I bet it feels like ages ago that the first one launched. Mm-hmm. I, I literally feel like this last year of my life has been my whole life. <laughs> It's pretty crazy. <laughs> like the time I have been conscious and aware of things happening to me is like in this last year, like, cause you're like, you're, you're engaged in your life at various different intensities in, in, in like different phases. Like there's definitely like a few years that kind of just flew by for me, but uh, this one has been definitely a shit ton of work, but it's great. I mean, I love it. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, it's been so cool to, you know, have this whole experience and being able to work with cool developers like you. I don't think it's mm. a coincidence that both the communities, you know, you know, are welcome in 2020. Like, there's something yeah. about here that people are like, okay, I'm ready for this. Yeah. Like, this is to see. Well, I think that, uh, one second. Uh, I, I think that, that um, you know, for for horror, like, the, the things that set the trends are the things that uh, try something new and something different. And I think that spaces like Haunted PS1 and what we're doing with Red X are a great place to try new things. And um, I, I love I love that, and I, I will always. I think that you know going into the future, it's just going to be really really awesome to to still have these communities that you know I, I expect I expect that the intersection between Dread Central, sorry Dread X and the Dread X collection stuff, um, and uh, the Haunted PS One community is like I don't think this is the last time that those paths shall cross, you know. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, like, there's a lot of people from our community in this collection, but uh, I, I'm sure there's gonna be plenty of other people because, like, there's so many cool game developers in the Haunted PS One that uh, I think you should pay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I definitely like. I definitely see like we're we're close enough in like in the space to uh, have have uh, our paths cross quite a bit. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, it's, we want talent and, you know, good talent, people that are passionate and there's no, then I think that's like Haunted PS1 is like, you know, it's one of those places that if you have passion, you can really flourish because it's like uh, everyone can, you can draw, draw experience from other people. You can, you know, really kind of hone your craft. And I love spaces. Like yeah. That. One, one of the things I wanted with, uh, when when the Haunted PS1 started to, like, get new members who I didn't already know, one of the things I really wanted was for it to be a space to encourage, say, first-time developers to make their first game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's actually happened quite a bit with, like, our game jams. And uh, I've I've seen, like, even even one of the other uh, other admins, or the only other, other admin of the community... Uh, Raincoat. He, I think, made his first game for uh, for one of the Haunted PS1 
game jams a couple of years back or yeah yeah like nearly two years ago now um and now now he's like an admin of the community so i I think it's really cool to see people who've always wanted to make games Mm -hmm. grow because i think i think uh like the atmosphere in the whole ds1 creatively creatively fuels people to be motivated hopefully (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I, i think it does i think that uh and, you know, I, like I said, was saying, it's just really cool to see these communities popping up and, like, having the success that they have. It's just really heartening for me. Because I like mm. it. I like the stuff. Like, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't enjoy myself. There's other things I could be doing to make more money. <laughs> That's certainly <sighs> true. Yeah. Speaking of making more money, uh, this, this, show, this showcase that we were coming up with, I've been, like, really trying to get in shape to, to do it because I have to be on camera and I want to be able to fit my suits. Plus, the showcase ends uh, with me slowly unbuttoning my shirt to reveal uh, the, the, ta- <laughs> the, ta- the tattoo collage of all of our most recent titles. So that's some that's some oh, candy for the viewers. So just you know, tune in for the uh, the Dreadix. What I think uh, I think people might be scared off of the showcase now. Well, it's pretty. It's, it's me showing off my pugs. And, oh like... yeah. By the way, everyone, this is my dog, Yoshi and Barky, and they're both very good. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, it's going to be like one of those TikTok videos where it's like the reaction and the person is like on one side, you and your pugs and me on the other side, slowly unbuttoning my shirt. Uh, but I, so I, I, I had to like shave my body so that I could work out more because the, the body sweat and the, and the hair is not good. And I look like a fat baby, and it's, like, the most demoralizing <laughs> thing ever. Like, when I went to use the restroom earlier, I caught myself in the mirror. I'm like, you fat baby. And I'm like, oh, God. And, I, and then I realized that that's why, why uh, the, the, good, the good Lord saw fit to give me so much body hair is to hide my imperfections. He was like, I know that you're not going to be – he's like, I know you like Total War, and that's not – you know, uh, that's antithetical to doing a lot of setups. So here's some body hair to cover that all up so you can have the vague veneer of always wearing a shirt – with your body. Just apply a bit of a Gaussian blur to yourself. Gross in <laughs> that's a, that's a good plan. I'll, I'll 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 have I need one of those hologram projectors that can like constantly project a six. Wander wander around with like a piece of perspex and Vaseline, all <laughs> smeared across it. Then exactly. you have it. That'd be great. I need one. Don't encourage him, Brogan. <laughs> I need one of those old-timey filters that they did for, like, Star Trek when they had a lady of a certain age on the screen and it gets all fuzzy. This just happens when I walk in the room. People's eyesight drops, like, 20 points. Okay. Well, I think that's as good a place to end it as any. Yep. Uh, we've been going for a little over an hour here. Say again? Uh, Brogan, do you have any last, like, things you want to promote? Uh... Check out the Haunted PS1, and uh, also, uh, like, check out my itch.io, maybe, if you're interested in, before playing Bubbo, if you want to see some of the other games I've made. There's a lot of them, and they're all quite different. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a a lot of of really uh, uh, cool... uh stuff out there that you should check out on the haunted ps1 side and you know uh just if you're if you yourself are an aspiring horror creator why not join i mean there's like you'll learn some stuff i know everyone's nervous about their first release everyone's nervous about getting into the industry but you know what you can uh 
it's just it's just a matter of uh, getting over that nervousness and giving it a shot because uh, we're all super friendly here, except for Jesse. He's uh, I don't even think he's still here. He's friendly. <laughs> I'm here. Though. Oh, hey, Jesse. I was being. I mean, in the bathroom, not here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think we figured it out. <laughs> Jesse, do you have any final questions before we go? No, I think I'm good. All right, cool. Well, with that, um, everyone, uh, you can always check out, like I said, Dreadx Collection Volume 3, Dreadx Collection 3, the Dreadx Collection Collection Volume 3. It's all going to be coming. It's all going to be coming over the next uh, few weeks here. So, uh, you know, Dreadx Collection 3, the Steam page will be up soon. Uh, we're just getting in some clips so we can get the trailer done for that so that we can put the Steam page up. And as soon as it's up, we'll be putting that on our, to our Twitter so you guys can know. Please wishlist the game. Uh, if you haven't wishlisted the Dreadx Collection 1 or the Dreadx Collection 2 yet, please do that. Um, not saying that there's for sure going to be a, a sale on it at some point in the future, but there will probably be a sale on it at some point in the future. With that wish list, you can be notified when it's slightly cheaper. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so just keep tuning in for more of these episodes where we talk to the various different developers and you can uh, hear persistent updates of my uh, childlike naked shaved body and uh, how that's going. So if you're here for the uh, the developer updates or for Ted's Naked Shaved Body. Both of them will be available on future episodes of uh, uh, Real Professional here. So anyways, uh, Brogan, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us today. Yeah, it was great being here. Thanks for having me. And also thanks for paying me to make a game. Oh yeah, well thank you for taking <laughs> my money and making a game with it. I really appreciate that. Uh, so... Keep an eye out for everybody's purple friend, Bubbo. Yeah, everyone keep an eye out for Bubbo and uh, you can check out Bubbo's adventure on Gerald's Island. In, uh, uh, when it comes to the Dreadx Collection 3 in October. Uh, I was just thinking of this game as Bubba's game, but what if it was Gerald's game, which is a completely different thing. <laughs> uh, great movie, though. Anyways, uh, I, I'm going to go before my brain makes me ramble off for another 30 minutes. So, everyone, bye! Bye. Bye. <laughs> okay, and we cut. Broken, so cute, and then Jessica's like, bye. <laughs> <laughs>